Tim Lacombe on the best stretch of jazz basketball of the season. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, equal housing lender. This is the best stretch of the basketball that the Jazz have played. Come in the results, come watching the games has been much more enjoyable in the process of how they're getting it done. They're playing weird defenses. Colin Sexton is following Jalen Brunson into the stands. Like It's all coming together. And I don't think that this team would be able to do that two weeks ago, three weeks ago, in the beginning of November. They're starting to turn the liner degrees in the right direction towards winning basketball. And it's come by the players playing winning basketball. You hear about it. We're talking about it with Tim Lacombe, but a good week on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network. Front row, Steve Wojciechowski, he joined Holly Rowe to talk about G League Showcase, which is happening right now in Orlando. It's the reason why December 15th, yes, people are released and allowed to be traded from their contracts on December 15th. But it's the reason why people call that the unofficial start to trade season. All the general managers, all the key decision makers, they're at Showcase in Orlando to watch players, who's going to be a 10-day contract, who's going to fill out a roster, who is ready to make the jump to the NBA level. You already saw it with Juan Toscano-Anderson, shout out Juan, getting signed by the Sacramento Kings. But Orlando is where all these guys are convening, they're talking, they're getting those early conversations about trade season right now. And as you think about trade season, do realize all these teams need a deadline. That's when the deals will get done. February, teams get desperate. They see they're out of the playing picture, they're out of the playoff picture. That's when people have to really decide what direction they're going. And for the Jazz, as a developing team, they have a lot of options and a lot of draft picks. And they can pick where they're going. So following that, but anticipating trade deadline to be when the real action happens. But enjoy front row, because Steve Wojciechowski talks about the development program, what he's working with, down in the G League, and what the Jazz have in their two ways. We'll hear from him there. There will be a front row next week and a couple of round ball roundups. Daryl Griffith, Ricky Green, fastest of them all, and Dr. Duncan Stein. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Tim Lacombe, Jazz Analyst. Catch him on the radio broadcast. We start with... What's going on with this zone? And how are the Jazz making this the best stretch of the season? Check it out. It's Tim Lacombe on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. You know, I think they've had nights where they've shot the eye out of it and you know the balls moved well defensively but I think in terms of like consistent effort and consistent uh, execution I think it's been probably the best stretch 
the I think the zone has kind of been interesting. I know we'll talk about some of that, but I think it's kind of given the Jazz life. And the one thing you're looking for when you coach is you're looking for a way to get the guys really, really invested um, and and to believe as much as you do, you know? And I think what I'm seeing is that an identity forming defensively, and it's kind of based around that zone. The communication certainly, like, increased. Um, my parents were here for the Knicks game, and I don't typically sit in the arena, but I sat 10 rows behind the basket um, that night when I could, you know, between pre and post and all that and halftime. But hearing the guys, like where I was sitting, hearing the guys and watching them, you know, kind of help each other, guide each other through it, possessions was pretty cool. So I think, I think it is, I think for those reasons. What is it about the zone that has enabled them? Because earlier this year, and you can compare it to last season, how it could be very easy to buy in when you're winning games. Then this year happens where at the start of the season, you're not getting those results. But the deal with a coach is to keep the guys going in the same direction, try to get everybody on the same page, and to see that the zone, even though there were loud buckets, it does work, and it has gotten them to play better defensively. What is it about this zone? I think the fact that it's pretty man principle, I think um, as I watch it, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the old amoeba zone that Jerry Tarkanian was famous for a long time ago. But Even it's kind of me. More, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Chew that towel. Um, I got to give a shout out to my guy Dave Rice was on that team. The coach with Dave at BYU. So shout out, Dave. Um, but I think it was, I think it's got, you know, ability to morph to whatever the offense is doing. So um, it kind of takes on a characteristic of man, but yet it's zone. I think it is, it's been kind of confusing enough for the guys to learn that the defense certainly ain't going to break it down in a couple of possessions. And then I think the way that Coach Hardy uses the changing in and out of it and having different elements of it, like, you know, at times you see them face guard and boxing one guys. And so that takes on a different shape. So I just think more than anything, it's required the guys to be a little more attentive on the defensive end. And I know that Coach referred to that um, after the Brooklyn game in the, in the media, talked about how that uh, that zone has created, you know, uh, guys have to look over him to get the call. And everybody's relaying the call. And so it's just kind of this rallying thing. If nothing else, too, it's different than what, they see on a nightly basis. I mean, how many times can you defend a high ball screen and and tell your guard you got to get over the top of it and every single time he gets hit by an elbow? Um, you know, I think it's it's pretty ingenious and and whatever it's done, it, the team's certainly buying in. Heading into Monday, so before the game against the Nets, Jazz led the league in total zone possessions, 259 and 60% of it came in the last three games. And, and when, when you see something and you, you see it give you, your team a little bit of life that, again, I I go around town and, you know, so many people are like, what's up, Jazz, right? And to me, it's this is a fascinating time in Jazz history. Like, I am looking at this through such a different lens because we watch it every night. 
Um, but this little stretch right here, because of the the spark it's created and it, and what it's been able to do to kind of free some guys up offensively too. Um, it's great when THT and Colin are having great nights, um, but they got to be able to guard and and stay within a system. And I think it's just given everybody that opportunity. Colin Sexton and Taylor Horton Tucker, last four games, Colin's been 27 points, four and a half assists, 1.8 turnovers. THT is 19 points, 4.5 assists, 1.8 turnovers. Pretty good harbingers. If they're playing well with Keontae out, that this team can be successful offensively. And Wills also referenced this. Playing good offense also bleeds into the way that guys have effort defensively. Oh, it totally does. I've always, you know, we actually had this comp this conversation last night on Crosstalk with Booner and Locke. Uh, Jake and I were talking with him after the game about um, about that very thing, and it almost is like a chicken and egg, right? It's a uh, it's does great offense really motivate you to fly around defensively or, or vice versa? And as a coach, you really don't care. I think every guy beats to a different drum, so you just try to. And I think Will does this as much as well as anybody I've seen. You try to figure out a way to incorporate everybody's strengths and account for their weaknesses all in the same big old ball. Um, I think he's done a fascinating job. Uh, this has been, with injury and everything else, it's been tough. Um, but it's, it's, awfully, it's awfully fun to watch. Will's changed a lot this year. And I, I say changed in the way he's been willing to give up on some things. Because you remember in the preseason, they were playing four-guard lineups, Saw it in one game against the Kings, and he said, nope, we're done with that. Very adaptable to what gives the guys confidence and what works. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's actually really refreshing. And, you know, last year, I kind of took part in a pun. I took note of how he, uh, that was, no, I was not trying to do that, but I did. Um, how he approached the lineups and how he approached closing games. I mean, I've always heard about that. It's almost like you have to step into this NBA-only room and, and speak the sanctity of an NBA rotation and who's going to close the game. And what I what I loved about Coach Hardy's approach just in his first year is, look, I'm new at this, and there's a lot of different ways to come about it. I, I think the smartest thing he's done is he's understood that you got to have the team. You know, you can't lose them. you got to have them. He seems to be, even through art times this year, having fun. Uh, seem often smile, even in a tough situation. Uh, he seems to ride the waves up and down really well. Um, it makes for a, a longer career than I had. I, I, I unfortunately was like a tidal wave of emotion, and it, it's hard to do it that way. So I think for him to learn at a young spot how to handle it, but then just to be creative and think outside the box. I mean, there's... Everybody's trying to gain this one trophy and, you know, it's fine to take the same route, but it's also okay to, to try to find new ways. And, and I think that's what Will's about. Are you surprised that this year it took to this point in the season for things to coalesce and get to a point where, like, I don't think three weeks ago they could throw these many zones at teams. I don't think they were at a place. And that he waited to the point where they could speaks not only to him, but also to the team coming together and not giving up on him. 
Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot to be said for that. And it's interesting, you know, everybody thought it would be a pretty smooth um, after last year and every everybody's setting down the ground rules. Uh, and this year has not been, it's been, it's been everything but smooth, but not for the reasons, you know, not for guys being obstinate or, um, you know, coaches being stubborn. I think honestly, just the process itself, look, these guys learning to play with each other. And if you think about it, so many of these guys are in totally different roles than they've been in their career. And so it's a, it takes time for things to, in fact, I took a, a sports psychology class at University of Utah and the professor is a great Evelyn Hall and she's from the South. And I still remember her giving us the elements of form and a team. She would say, storm and norman and performance, you know, and it takes time. You fight, fight it out for spots. You kind of normalize and say, okay, this is the way it's going to be. And then you go. And I think where we, what we've seen is a bunch of that first part. And I'm excited because it's not going to be without bumps and bruises. You know, this upcoming road trip will be tough. Um, but I do believe we've turned a corner and I think there's more of that performing going on. Taylor Hendricks, pretty good indicator of that. You've been on the call for Stars games. You've seen him in the G League. To where he is now, and he didn't get in much against the Nets, but to see where it was last week playing, what have you seen from his growth day one in the G League to where he's getting minutes in the NBA? You know, it's it's so going off all these guys experience and in Taylor's journey to the NBA is extraordinary. Uh, you know, a guy who for all intents and purposes should be in his second year in his mind at, at college and his basketball ability, skill, size, everything just, you know, totally exploded in a way that put him in a stratosphere he wasn't even considering. So I think for a while he's been on, he hasn't been on this planet, you know. I think he's been trying to get settled to just what this is. Um, I I go down. You see me often down. I, I I love to get there early and watch the guys shoot and kind of get a vibe for what's going on and read body language. Um, I met Taylor's mom sitting up there in the stands. Wonderful person, and you know, just so interesting because when you think about it at face value, it's an 18 year old kid, um, living away from home, you know, a long way from home and, you know, a ton of expectation of being a first round pick, but I think he's handled it so well. His journey to the, in, in the G league was, I think really beneficial. Love the way the team uses that tool. Um, but I think he went down there and just applied business, talked to, to Woj a little bit prior to one of the games I did. And um, and he said it's just been nothing but a great mindset, a business-like mindset. Um, see that in the way he works out. And then when he's coming into games, he just has, you know, that crazy natural ability to block shots and defend. He runs the floor like a gazelle. And the shot will come, you know. I mean, Keontae still has not made shots the way he can. And th there's nothing, you know, nothing normal about your rookie year. So you kind of take what comes and you build from there. The effort has been huge with him, seeing how hard he goes. I remember doing the draft show with you guys on draft night, and it was the first thing that I brought up with Taylor Hendrick was 
chase down blocks. He would not give up on possessions at UCF. And for a guy who probably does not expect to be in the NBA after he signs his letter of intent to go play for Johnny Dawkins, he's here now, and now he kind of has to figure it out. But going from day one to where it is now, the rapid improvement has been impressive. Yeah, and he and he plays out there like he belongs. You know, he kind of, I think he sauntered out there the first night. And, yeah. you know, he goes out there now and he's part of it. And um, I'm excited to see what it brings. I think is the beauty of drafting a young guy in today's NBA, and particularly when that G League's in your town, man, you got a real ability to develop guys. And you see the Jazz utilize it time and time again. You don't have to look any further. I think Gobert was probably the poster child of that. Uh, a guy who, you know, was a project, for lack of a better word. And, you know, I think they jazz used that situation so well. And, you know, hopefully that can continue to help him and Sensaba. I know Sensaba's having a great, great year down there. It's the best broadcast moment you've had with the G League. The, the highlight for me doing these games is to watch these guys knowing that that league's pro- produced some really good players um and you know not produced it's not they went out and drafted them but utilizing that league has has really springboarded guys careers and i loved what i saw on tape from taylor i've got the note card down here i was just looking at it from the draft you spoke of that night and, and uh, i i i prepare um i prepare a pretty heavy draft board you know when i get ready for that and then i kind of star my guy the, the guy that i think the jazz if i were them would take and uh you know through the years it's been interesting but this last one was taylor Hendricks. after watching this film and and i didn't know much about him going in but i'm like if this guy can grow into what it looks like he's gonna be you know some pretty cool stuff everybody says that about how they didn't have it that way heading in Sean James he's the director of college scouting for the Jazz he told the story about how Bart Taylor VP of player personnel was the first player to bring Taylor Hendricks onto his radar and Bart writes the name Taylor Hendricks UCF on his board in his office it's like a couple doors down from where I'm sitting right now Sean says yeah freshman UCF I really haven't heard much about it and then Bart says, you have to go see this player. And he goes. Everybody in the front office goes to UCF. They want to see him in that environment. And they all get convinced because everybody in this league needs that type of player and that type of person who can not only see the G League as a, a moment to develop, but as a part of his professional journey. Yeah, and I mean, some guys probably thumb their nose at that. But that was the beauty of it is you know what his character is. You know, you can bring him in and he's open to, hey, develop me, make me a player, you know, trust the organization. So now I think the best, obviously the best of him is yet to come, but it's really fun. And I've really enjoyed, you know, watching over the last few years. I, I think it was John Moran who kind of had his coming out party in the playoffs, you know, and we were doing the playoffs that run. So to see, I'm a huge NBA history guy. You know, I love, I've watched it my whole life. And so, like, to be a little teensy part of that is pretty cool. 
Now, let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. Ready for take oven? Take oven. So these are takes that aren't fully baked. Some of them are, you know, but some of them aren't. And I just want to lob things up to you to see if if they're on the mark or if they're not on the mark. Okay. Keontae George as a top five rookie this year. I would probably buy that. Uh, I think top three is pretty defined right now. Yeah. Um, and, but beyond that, really, as I looked at the numbers the last week, the only thing Keontae hasn't done is make baskets. Um, he's, he's the leading rookie in assists. What it speaks to is the fact that he's, he's gone out there and actually taken a pretty major project trying to get the ball to move. And he kind of was a catalyst for that. And what he's known to be as a scorer. So I think he sacrificed a little of his offense, but as we saw, when it all clicks, he put 30 on the board. Um, that's going to happen more regularly, I think, now that he's kind of broken through. And I would imagine his numbers are, his shooting numbers are far better than what he shot this year. And so I think as that rises, I think he'll be in that top five. Top three is, top two is clear, Chet Victor. Yeah. Who's your third? Miller. Okay. Yeah. At his position, it's Case and Wallace, probably, like as far as guards who are competing yep. there. Hawkes. Jordan Hawkins. Yeah, Jordan Hawkins. Shooting yep. it. Hawkes is great, man. I loved watching his college film. Kind of thought it would translate to what it is because he's just a dude's a bucket getter, relentless, you know. But and Hawkins couldn't shoot it. But I just think at the end of the day, Dante will be in the right spot. Asar Thompson, also very good this year. Yep, be right. able to watch him, even though it's a, it's interesting to watch Detroit. A couple of his basketball cards. In fact, can I show you a cool card? Yeah. What do you got? I'm a card collector. I got a, of 25 Wemby rookie. Oh. Numbered right there, baby. I think's legit. So, just here in the office, you know. How do you acquire that? How'd you get it? I bought it out of a sports cards now are so cool. It's like the lottery. You go buy a box of cards and that's that could be in there. It's like the golden ticket. You know? They put numbered stuff in and I just happened them to get Wimby. So uh twenty four ninety nine for the box, baby. Look at that. Walmart. Shout out. Next take oven. Can the Jazz play zone for an entire game? Can they go Syracuse? No, because I think the charm of this is their ability to get in and out of it. And I do think transition, and Will spoke of this, it's hard to transition in live action back to a zone. You kind of want to, after free throws, after a dead ball, where you can really set everything. Um, when guys are running back and 
you've got kind of transition principles to get the ball stopped and the rim protected is a little bit more difficult. So I would say, I mean, not to disparage Syracuse at all, because that zone, my goodness, Braces was it good. Uh, but no, I don't know that the Jazz could play at all. Week eight. Is that an NBA thing too? Probably. Uh, I used when I first started doing this four years ago. I asked David once, like, why don't they trap more? And he's like, because in the NBA, a trap is a corner three, and you're trying to avoid that. There's a whole bunch of rules, unwritten rules, but I think that's what's kind of cool is just get in there and break them a little bit at a time, you know. Uh, play a little bit more zone, junk up your defense. Players are really good. Uh, you've got to you've got to be out in front of it, and I think that's what this little thing's doing. The boxing one where Colin is following Jalen Brunson into the stands. That's pretty impressive from Colin to really stick to the job that he was given, even if it goes out of bounds. Out of bounds up the stairs. Maybe he was thinking he was going to get a free meal out of it. Uh, but Have you ever left, seen that? No, it was amazing. I mean, he real, literally went like three steps yes. down the tunnel with him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's... Hey, you love a guy that's going to take his assignment to heart, and Colin did that for sure. Like, in that situation, do you, he stays inbounds, and they're playing five on four, right? I mean, oh, yeah. it makes it even better yeah. for New York. Oh, absolutely. And then you... I was, that's the thing, like mixing this, these defenses up. And I felt like it when Brooklyn toward the end of that game, like Denver, who's looking over his shoulder, like, where's the next guy coming from or what's going, you know, um, in an NBA game, the guy with the ball typically is setting the rules. You know, he's the guy up there like, no, 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 you now, obviously that's what you're trying to do. You, you have to, you have to disguise, you have to be crafty. It's fun to watch. Next take, Evan. Simone Fantecchio should be at All-Star Weekend in the three-point shooting contest. Yeah. I'd buy that. He's been unbelievable. He's been hot. And um, I don't know if you know David works in a different sort of pasta with each three. Really? So it's kind of interesting. We're, we're running out of them. What's Ding-ding. the... Yeah. I was sitting next uh, to the Spanish broadcasters and the way that they said Dinwiddie sounded like Linguini. I love those guys. You know, yeah. they do their they do those broadcasts on the road from the studio up there. And so when I go get a drink sometimes I forget that they're in there and I just hear like the most raucous like I'm like, I'm missing the coolest time down here. But I don't understand the words that's being said. It's cool. Those guys are cool. Simone should also be involved in the skills. The thing that's impressed me so much about Simone, I think we talked about this yesterday, was how he's legitimately running back in transition defense every single possession up and down the floor. And that's huge for how bad that they had been earlier this year. And I also, like, I didn't see the... It's kind of like the Lowry Markin in Revelation last year for me. I didn't realize how physically tough the dude was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he showed that again this week with the the non-flagrant elbow to the face, which, I'll ne- again, don't get me started about. I- I'll never understand reviews and how that isn't. But anyhow, 
uh, he impressed me last year, Lowry, with his toughness, you know, and that really, of all the things he scored and, but what stood through to me, like what makes it to me, uh, a difference maker type of guys is toughness, both mentally and physically. I think he, he met the challenge and it wasn't what I knew about Lowry. I just, I didn't spend enough time. Uh, Simone has kind of done the same thing for me this year. He's taken on tough defensive assignments. Will's lauded his effort all year long, you know, just, he brings them up about every single competition, every drill. The guy just gives you everything he has, um, which is such a great skill. But people don't realize how big he is. Big on like he's got great wingspan. So yeah, it's fun to watch him. But he does way more than just make shots. It's for sure. What's his trajectory as a pro? Man, I I would think you know, I think the more comfortable he gets. Uh, the shot starts to fall. To me, he seems like a guy that could, you know, I think he's a, a double-figure game scorer easy. Um, I I think he's the guy that, like, his intellect is, stands out too. Like, he just knows how to play. And, and um, so I wouldn't put any limits on him. I think he's got the ability with continued growth to be a real difference maker, you know, a guy that can come in and help move the needle toward where the Jazz will go. Take Oven in-season tournament trophy banners are real and should be respected? I actually surprisingly think that that is yes. And I'll tell you why. Because I've never seen NBA players play harder in the months of October and November than I did this year. And if it means that much to the players, it probably should be a banner that's hung. You know, it's, I think if it was like, um, you know, one of those tournaments in college where you have to pay to go, the CIT or whatever, I, I think, yeah, we, we take a deep swallow on that one and pass. But I just thought everybody went so hard this, this time, you know, and everybody, it instantly ramped up too. It was game one, the game one that night and watching the games and being able to be up in the studio and watch not just the jazz, but two other games and. Like, it's almost like the speed was on 1.5 on your little uh, search bar. So I I buy that one, JP. I think you hang the banner. If it meant that much to one of the greatest players that ever lived, um, probably should be hung. Are you shocked by how much everybody bought in? It wasn't just one team going for it. It was everybody. And all the crowds matched it, too. The Jazz started in Memphis really bad at that point. But the crowd was still there and still going for it in that in-season tournament game. It, yeah, it did boggle my mind because I did think maybe it would be viewed as a gimmick or a stunt, you know. Uh, but I'll tell you what, it was executed very well. I think it was laid out great. I think the the groups were fun to watch. And it, it got right down to it. And it, I said to somebody, it had a college feel to it, you know, and that's a compliment. I don't know anymore. College to me is a little bit of a loss, a little bit of its luster just because of the NIL transfer portal and NIL transfer portal, all that stuff is just it's convoluted to me. But the old college where you know the one you and I grew up with, where there's a ton of excitement and people, every game is just kind of live or die. That's kind of what the attorney felt like. Should the Jazz hang the Utah Stars banner, nineteen seventy one? I think it wouldn't be 
a bad thing. Uh, if nothing else, I mean, certainly wouldn't be to take credit, but it'd just be to honor those guys, you know? That's the thing that the older I get, I, I think way more about the people involved just because I see, like I sit down in that press room and we have that meal every night and I just watch the number of people that really work hard, you know, at this. And when you go all the way up to the players and, and they come and go, it seems like they're here forever, but they're just gone in the flash. And you really got those memories. I've loved watching the, the vignettes of the, the Jazz 50. Like the, the Frank Layden one, dude, I had me in tears, you know. The, the influence of that guy, because I lived that. Like Frank Layden made it cool to be a jazz singer. He got on the national scene, poked fun at Pat Riley. Um, I know I'm going on a wild tangent, but I think what I, I guess what I'm saying is that the the people, the essence of the people, you know, that's probably why I'd hang that banner for guys like Zelmo Beatty and, you know, played on that team. Uh, you know, Ron Boone was Ron Boone was around, I believe, for that. So I, I would hang it just for Ron alone. Like, I haven't met it as nice a human being in my lifetime as Ron Boone, so I'd probably hang it just for Builder. This is a crusade I'm trying to go on. It's for the Jazz to hang that banner. Do you want him to hang it? I absolutely do. If the stars don't come, the Jazz don't come. True. <laughs> if the stars don't have success and show that the Salt Palace can get filled by people... Sam Battistone doesn't think to go New Orleans to Salt Lake and have a team in in the Salt Palace, and then the Salt Palace doesn't lead to the Delta Center. It doesn't lead to Larry Miller. It doesn't lead to what happened now. I sat at my buddy Mike Dean's house in 1988 and watched Jordan put on that freaking show. So, yeah, we all know we, we, we can hang the we, – we can kind of measure our lives by who won the dunk contest. Exactly. So they need to respect ABA titles. People forget University of Utah, 1944. They won the championship. Respect the history. People say that that Utah doesn't have a professional championship in basketball. Boom. College basketball championship and an ABA championship. How you like me now? Exactly. In your face. In your face, everybody. Stan, the cool part about that is our motivations were the same. You're about those people that should be honored. And people out of the secret sauce, JP. I live my life believing that every day. There is no better way to end conversation with Tim Lacombe than that. Tim, jazz analyst all over the place, specifically on the radio with Jake Scott. Thank you so much for joining Roundball Roundup. It was my pleasure, man. It's great to be with you. 